Because the central point of this whole series is what? Are we going to be people of the book? Are we going to be people who are rooted and grounded in the Bible? Or not? That's what we're going to do. Do we apply the Bible to everything we do? And so here we are, we have our calendar, and we go, yep, we're centering our lives, we're centering our church, we're oriented around the Bible. We're oriented around Jesus and the truth communicated to us there. Second thing is that for us to be of the book, there's action required. And so we've gone through this whole series, a number of parts, and if you've missed any of them, we'd encourage you to catch them on the podcast, on the website. We have them all recorded and up there with all the slides and everything. But there is action required. If we're going to be people of the book, we can't be people of the book in word only. It has to be indeed. So today we're going to talk about, all right, in light of all of these things, so we wrap this series up, what responses should I have? If I see that this is true and I agree that the Bible is God's word, what should my responses be? So how should I respond? That's really the question. You look at your own life and you say, okay, if all of these things are true about the Bible and it is God's word, how should I respond? We have seven responses today that are going to tie back in with all the things that we've been talking about over the past few months. So we'll just dive into that first. The first one should be fairly obvious. If the Bible is God's word and it is given to us and it is all of the things we said it is, what should we do? We should believe it. <laughs> it's very simple, but sometimes we have to say the simple thing at the beginning because the simple is not always so simple. Amen? That's what we have to do. I think we can all generally understand when it comes to all the things in life that this, this is a, a truth about who we are as humans is that our actions flow out of our beliefs. So why is belief important? Belief is important because in everything we do, our actions follow our beliefs. You're wondering why I have a picture of a green light on the screen. Maybe you're not. You could be wondering why. Because a green light is one example of how our actions follow our beliefs. So you're driving down the road, if you're old enough to drive, right? And you're driving down the road and you see a green light, what do you do? You go through it. What's the belief? Your belief is that the people on the cross, cross directions are going to stop because they have a red light. You're believing that the other lights are actually red and not also green at the same time. Your actions follow your belief. Now, I understand there's times I'm driving, I come up to an intersection, and I'm like, I'm afraid someone, okay, I'm going to keep going, right? But if you did that all the time, you would see, well, my belief is that people aren't actually going to stop. And your actions are following your beliefs. So our actions follow our beliefs. Another example is every morning. <laughs> you go to work, you wake up, you got to get up to be with the kids. You set your alarm. What's your belief? Your belief is that the alarm is going to go off. This is especially bad, right, when you have to catch a flight in the morning. <laughs> You're like, it's going to go off. I'm trusting it's going to come off, go off. Or when it's daylight savings, like it was last week or two weeks ago, and you're like, oh, I'm trusting my phone is going to reset the time this, this week, so I'm going to get up in the morning. Your actions follow your belief. You're trusting that thing, right? You're trusting that it's going to go off. There's another one. If you have, if you have kids at home and you're a parent, your actions flow from your belief. Once your kids are... Now, when you have little kids, right? You know, when you get the little kids, you're like, okay, I'm not going to leave them home alone. But as they get a little older and you're like, okay, I can... My belief is that 
they're trustworthy. My belief is that they're going to follow the rules and take care of things and not burn the house down while I'm gone, so I'm going to leave them home alone. My action follows my belief. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Hebrews 11.6. Whoever would draw near to God must do what? Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So what is the foundation of knowing God? It's real simple. Do you believe that he exists or not? Do you believe that he exists or not? Now, if that's the foundation for knowing God, what's the foundation for knowing the Bible? If I believe all that we've shared about the Bible is true, if I believe that, I will live it. My actions will follow my belief. I so appreciate this. This is another one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In John chapter 6, all these people, Jesus has some very difficult, challenging, theological things to say that really shake up the culture. And a bunch of people are like, I'm out, I'm done. And they take off and then Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love this passage because it speaks to the reality of being gripped by the truth. Am I so gripped by the truth that if things are hard and things are challenging and, oh, it doesn't quite line up with the culture around me or with my feelings, is my response... Where else am I going to go? These are the words of life. And I have believed. So how do we know that we believe? How do I know that I believe? I think there's a question we can ask ourselves diagnostically here to figure out whether we believe. Will I stick with it regardless of what the circumstances are in my life? Oh, things are really hard. And we all know things can get really, really hard and really ugly and really messy. But when I look at my life and I say, wow, I think things could get really, really hard. But at the end of it, I'm going to say, where else will I go? These are the words of life. That's a litmus test for our belief. And now if this is a difficult question for you to answer, and that's okay if it is. If that's a difficult question, let's remember the Bible is authentic and it can be believed. And we talked about this in our first couple of, uh, of segments on this. Why? How can, why can it be believed? Well, one is our experience. For those of who believed it, we can give testimony and say, I've believed it and it's changed my life. That's part of what John and Dave were sharing last week. We can look at science and science does point, when we look at it correctly, science points us to the authenticity of the Bible. You look at the person of Jesus Christ and we went through that analysis of who Jesus was and what he did and we go, wow, that points to the authenticity of the Bible. So do all of the miracles that are included there and so do the prophecies that are mentioned at one point and hundreds of years later are fulfilled. The Bible is authentic. And I can believe it. Our second response after belief is to honor it. How should I respond to the Bible? I should honor it. Honor it. What does it mean to honor it? To have a high respect or great esteem. A high respect or a great esteem. To honor it. Now where else does the Bible use this kind of language of honor? What comes to your mind? I know it comes to my mind honor your parents. Honor your mother and father, which by the way isn't just a command to kids, it's a command to all of us, right? Honor your mother and father. Highly esteem. (laughs) 
have a great respect for your mother and your father. So, do you hold the Bible in that same respect or in greater respect? Do you esteem the Bible or not? If what we've shared in this series is accurate, I believe that we should. Job 23, chapter 23, verse 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Yeah, and in this verse, treasure really is a synonym for honor. I have esteemed, I have respected his words more than my portion of food. Do you see the Bible this way? Do you see God's word as more esteemed than what you eat? My response to the Bible should be to honor it. And guess what? You're in good company. Psalm 138.2, speaking about God, he says, You, God, have exalted above all things, what? Your name and your word. God has honored his own word. If God has honored his own word, I should too. I should too. I think to have that perspective, it's worth remembering some of those attributes of the Bible that we talked about. The Bible can be honored because it is infallible. It is perfect. It is inerrant. It is without errors. It is complete. It gives us what we need. It is authoritative. It tells us how to live. It is sufficient. It has all that, all that is there, all that is needed for a life of godliness. It is effective to help us know how to live, and it is determinative. It helps us to fix and settle our eternal destiny in the life before us. Sounds to me like it's worthy of honor. Have you honored it? Have you responded to the Bible that way? The third thing today is to love it. How should I respond to the Bible? I should love it. When I say love, I mean have a deep affection for it. Have a deep affection for it. Psalm 119, verse 97. We looked at this recently. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And in Psalm 19, more to be desired is God's law than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey or drippings of the honeycomb. We talked about sweeter than candy, sweeter than the greatest dessert you could imagine. Why is the question I have to ask. Why did the psalmists respond to God's word with love? Why did they choose that? Why didn't they choose some other emotion or some other feeling? And I think it's obvious because the psalmists see that the, the Bible offers goodness and grace and truth and wisdom and so on and so forth. And so think of in your own life, I want you to think in your own life of what are some other things I love or some people I love or some stuff I love. Why? Well, you probably love those things. You love those people. You love your spouse because there is good for you in that. It brings out good fruit in your life. The Bible can bring out good fruit in your life also, and so we should love it as well. When you understand the benefits of the Bible, it's easy to love it. And here's some of those benefits we talked about. The Bible can be loved because it gives us the truth. It gives us the truth. It gives us the path to happiness. It gives us victory in the spiritual realm over the forces that are trying to tear us down. It allows us to grow spiritually and emotionally. It shows us how and gives us that, those boundaries. It gives us the power, the power to have all of these things. It gives us guidance for how to walk it out. It's worthy of love. The Bible is worthy of love. Our fourth response is to obey. How should I respond to the Bible? I should obey it. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 5, Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Where is the love of God perfected? In the person who obeys. And we obey. As we mentioned before, the actions follow belief. Obedience is really just I'm taking my belief and putting it into practice. Right? Now some of you, maybe like me, <clears throat> have been a Christian a long time, and maybe you were in, in church maybe 30 years ago. There was this old song that's just stuck with me, probably because I was a little kid when I learned it. And the lyrics say, Trust and obey, for there's no other way, anyone know it, to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Believe and obey. They go together. They go together. For parents, we understand this, don't we? What's that litmus test? We're talking about leaving those kids at home or just talking about kids at home. What's the litmus test for knowing whether I have my kids' heart? The Bible instructs us, hey, get your kids' hearts. How do I know if I have my kids' hearts? They obey. When I give them direction, they obey and they do it with the right countenance and so forth. What if they say, what if you have a kid and he says, ah, yeah, I love you, Dad. And then he goes off and does all the things that you say, hey, you should do this, and he does the opposite. How genuine is that love? It's not very genuine, right? And the Bible is the same way. Our attitude towards the Bible should be the same way. Our belief in the Bible should be evidenced by our actions. When it says, do this, because it will bear good fruit, do I do that, or do I do the opposite thing? Am I obeying or not? crucial response to the Bible is obedience. Do you obey what it says? How is that going for you? The Bible can be obeyed. We talked about these things. There's some, not prerequisites, but things that help us walk into obedience. The first one is, I've got to be a believer. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We also have to be diligent. We have to be committed to it and say, I'm going to walk this out. Even when it's hard. Do I have the desire to obey or not? Maybe there's a sin issue in my life that's clouding my desire. Am I pursuing holiness? Not because, oh, I'm going to get holy and God's going to love me more, but I'm pursuing holiness because it's going to bear good fruit in my life. Am I submitted to the Spirit? Here we are. We have the Word. And if you're a believer, you have the author of that Bible living in you. What a source. We've got to be prayerful. The Bible can be obeyed when I'm prayerful. Obedience is very important. Because <clears throat> when we obey, we can move on to the next one. The next response is to fight for it. To fight for the Bible. In Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing, you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why is Jude writing this? Why does he need to remind the, his audience to contend? He doesn't say, oh, I appeal to you to have faith. I appeal to you to express faith. He says, no, contend, fight for the faith. Why is that? I think it's because we all have a flesh. And our flesh has a tendency to do what? Be lazy and apathetic. It was probably these people he was writing to had just gotten lazy and apathetic in the faith. And he's saying, no, fight for it. Get up and fight for it. Will we fight for it? What does this look like? How can we fight for the word? I think that's a good question to ask. In this culture, in this place, in this time, it may be different than other places and other times. But how can we fight for the word? 
Well, I'm not a big political person, and I'm not really talking about politics, but I believe that we're living in a time in American history where God's Word is under attack more than it has ever been at any other time in our 200-plus year history. If we look at our government, although our government, our system of governance was founded upon God's word, whether you agree with it or not, it was like, hey, this is how it is. This is where truth and our laws are going to hang off of this. And the government, the government is increasingly secular and increasingly unbiblical, in some ways increasingly anti-biblical. Our culture, and our culture of the Bible, although it's long been understood to contain truth and goodness and righteousness, Our culture is viewing more and more, more and more people are viewing the Bible as unreliable, outdated, and not a source of truth. We look at churches. We look at the the Christian church in America. And many, many churches, many local churches are minimizing, they're changing, they're editing, they're adjusting what the Bible says so that they can teach according to what the trends of the culture have to offer. So when we look at all those things, we go, wow, there is a place for us to fight for it. There's a place for us to fight for it. But I don't necessarily mean go stand out in the public square or go on Twitter or Facebook and start blasting people with the scripture. I don't mean that. I'm just trying to say, hey, look, we're swimming in the soup. But we need to fight in our own lives. In some ways we can fight. We can fight for the truth in our church. It's part of why we're doing this series and where we're, what we're walking into as a church. We've got to be grounded in the Bible. So we're going to fight for that in our church. That's who we're going to be. Each of us can fight for the truth in our homes. Our kids are surrounded. They are surrounded by these influences that are telling them the Bible is not the truth. It is not worthwhile. We have an opportunity in our homes to teach the Bible to our kids. We can fight for the truth that way and fight for the next generation. And then in our own lives, we can look in our own lives and say, I need to fight for the truth in my heart because I too am bombarded by all of these messages and I'm swimming in the soup. I need to fight for the truth in my own heart. I need to be able to believe it and apply it on a personal level. And so I would ask you that question. Are you in the battle? Are you contending for the faith like it says in Jude? Are you contending? This is a reminder to you to contend for the faith. Our response to the word should be to fight for it. And move on from that into another response, which is to preach it. It's just almost like a dirty word in our culture. Ooh, don't be preachy. Don't preach it. But what does Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? I charge you, preach the word. Preach the word. Paul's giving Timothy instructions for how to live in light of the truth. You have the word, preach it. We go back to the Greek. The Greek for the word preach is kariso, which means to proclaim publicly. Proclaim publicly. You go, oh, I don't really want to talk about it, Greg. (laughs) I don't want to be public. I just kind of want to be private. I don't really want to talk about the word. Well, let's remember what the word is. Let's go back to a parable of Jesus from Luke chapter 15. Jesus says, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? The answer is no woman. They all do that. We all would do that, right? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, 
Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is a joy in the truth. Why do we preach? Because we have the good news. And not just the good news, it's really the best news that exists. It's the best news out there. And I am thankful that we still have the opportunity in our country to preach the word in a public way. There are other countries and other places in the world that do not have that freedom. And we have that freedom. And so while we have that freedom, I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I speaking publicly about my faith? Am I speaking publicly about the Bible? Do people know that that is what I believe? And what about the people you have relational currency with? Your friends, your family, your colleagues, your children, your parents. Do they know? Are you preaching the word to them? It's a good question. Am I responding to the Bible that way? Our last response to the Bible is to study it. We've seen this before. We saw this verse uh, just a couple weeks ago. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because he's rightly handling the word of truth. He's rightly handling the Bible. And so we go back to the Greek on this, and rightly handling is the word orthotomeo. And look this up. What is orthotomeo? It comes from two words. The first one is ortho, which means right. Something is right. We know that in our culture. We think of, you know, something is orthogonal. That means it's got, like, right angles, 90-degree angles. Uh, you think about something like, even say, uh, orthodontics. That means getting your teeth right, <laughs> getting your teeth straight. The second part of the word, you have ortho, and the second word there is uh, timno. And timno means to cut or to divide. And we go, okay, that's interesting. Cut or divide in a right way. Well, why is Paul saying that? Well, we have to remember Paul, Paul had another occupation, didn't he? His occupation was tent making. And so you can probably imagine that Paul in his mind was going, hey, this is an accurate description to use this word that we use in tent making, which is we got to cut things the right way. we got to divide things the right way or your tent is going to be messed up, right? We know these things like sewing, right? Anybody here done any sewing? Like from, oh yeah, you guys have. I've tried this. Man, if you don't cut the stuff right, it doesn't go together right. You've got like a shirt that's like you know, cockeyed or a collar that's like the wrong size. It doesn't work, or maybe for some of you who are a little more, uh, you know, hands-on, there's like construction. Anyone here done wood framing? Right? We have like a little saying, for those of us who do this kind of thing, it's uh, uh, measure twice, cut once. Measure once, cut, and cut, and cut, and cut, <laughs> and then throw the board away and start over. Right? That's what it's like. That's the image Paul's giving us here. That's what we want to aim for with the Bible. We want to cut it, divide it. We want to put it together. We want to understand it and piece it together well. Well, what's it take to do that? Doesn't happen by osmosis. We have to study it. We have to study it. We want to cut. We want to form. We want to connect all the pieces so they fit together in the right way. In the right way. So as a reminder, rightly handling means this. It means I've got to start by reading the book. I've 
got to start by reading it. Then, as I read the book, I've got to interpret it correctly. We talked about that a few weeks ago, of how to get to that place. And then, when we have that, we take it and we put it into practice. That's what he means by rightly handling. When we do that, we're rightly handling the Bible. So I want to just bring this to, to a close here. We've looked at these responses, and I've asked some questions and said, how are you doing with these responses? Are you responding this way or not? And I think there's a chance for all of us, myself included, to look at this and go, wow, there's some places I could really improve in how I respond to the Bible. Because I think ultimately we want to be asking these questions. Will we, as a church, be people of the book or not? And I declare, as far as it depends on me and my leadership, we will be people of the book. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to be. But I think we all have to ask the personal question, too. And that personal question is, okay, will I be a person of the book? When I look at all of this information, when I look at all of the, the characteristics and the attributes and the authenticity and the good fruit that flows out of the Bible, and I look at my own life, I go... Will I be a person of the book or not? So I'll leave you with that, and I'm going to close in prayer. God, I just declare to you today that in my life, I want to be a person of the book. And God, I thank you that my salvation doesn't depend on whether I'm a person of the book or not. I thank you that you offer to save me just simply by believing and receiving that free gift of salvation. And God, as I've made that decision in my life to just receive the free gift of salvation, I've invited you to become the Lord of my life. And by becoming the Lord of my life, I've said, what would you have me do? And you've said, here's my word. Here is the Bible. Here is the instruction manual for life. And God, you didn't promise that it would be easy. You didn't promise that it would be rosy and fun and, and candy canes and lollipops and, and, and fun parties. God, it is hard. God, it is hard to obey the word because our world and our flesh and the devil want everything to be opposite. And they want to make all of the opposites enticing. God, I just declare this morning, I'm trusting you that what you say in the word, what you've given us in the Bible, those instructions are the instructions to follow. And so God, I declare to you this morning that I will be a person of the book. And God, as far as it depends on me, declare that our church, our church, that we will be people of the book. Lord, help us in that. Lord, it feels like we're swimming upstream in a culture, in a place, in a time where the current is moving in the other direction. So Lord, help us to walk that out. Lord, give us the faith we ask. We ask you give us the wisdom, give us the grace to read, to understand, and to apply your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.